on, Victory Church? How you doing? My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us today, uh, as Brian said, I want to encourage you to go out to the Welcome Center, get connected. Uh, we'd love to just reach out to you this week and learn a little bit more about you as well as your opportunity to attend Grow Track today after church. Um, Brian touched, about, touched on it, and I just want to mention it again real quick. It, it was special to be able to be in here and have our very first Christmas party in our church. Come on, did you enjoy that, Dream Team? Um, so, you know, for years we've been in a school, we've been setting up and tearing down, so we'd have to go rent out a skating rink or go rent out the Stars and Strikes bowling area or something to be able to gather as a team. And so it was just good to be in here together as a family and say thank you to our Dream Team because they really do make every Sunday happen. And so if you've been visiting with us, you've been here for a while, and you say, man, I really want to get more connected, I want to be more involved, I want to be a part of what God's doing in Victory, you do that through the Dream Team. And so we'd love to encourage you to go check out Growth Track this Sunday right after service. It'll be about 30 minutes, you'll be in, we'll watch your kids, and you can roll on out from there. Um, real quick to touch on again, as Brian said, Purpose Prevails and God's Guarantee. People have already started giving towards Purpose Prevails, which is often awesome. Uh, and also thankful for those that are considering to begin to trust God with their tithes. As we get ready to go into a new year, we're going to start the new year with prayer and fasting, and we're going to believe God to do a lot of great things. If you weren't here last Sunday and you didn't get to hear some of the vision that's going to happen in, in the first six months of 23, I encourage you to jump on our YouTube page and listen to that and just hear some of the cool things that we believe God's going to do through this church. And a lot of that's being set up with prayer and fasting, but also being set up with our giving. Uh, and our, our tithes, our offerings, and that money begins to set forward what the vision and what we can do moving into the new year. And so I want to encourage you to do that. If, you're, if you are a faithful giver, then consider Purpose Prevails. If you are not trusting God with your tithing right now, consider beginning to tithe and trust God with those finances so that we can make an impact, even bigger impact, in our community and through this church in 23. I did want to show you a picture real quick. This is pretty awesome. Uh, one of the ministries that we're a part of is Scott Horton Ministries, uh, Operation Saving Lives, and you've heard me talk about him before. He has a ministry for, towards anti-abortion, and what I love about his ministry is he doesn't stand on a corner and shake his finger and say, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this. Um, what he does is he encourages them not to do it and gives them biblical reason why, but then he says, hey, if you still want to move forward because you don't want your baby, we'll adopt your baby, which is amazing because I don't hear that being an option a lot of times. Or if you choose to keep your baby, we want to come alongside of you and help you with baby showers, uh, mentoring, pastoring, all kinds of different things. So what's cool about this is he made the announcement that because of those that support him, he was able to buy this mama, who is a mama that decided to keep her baby, able to buy her a new van this Christmas. Come on, can we put our hands together for that? And so that, that's, that's just an incredible opportunity. So I, I tell you that for two reasons. Number one, he was able to do that because of your faithful giving. Because every month we support what he's doing and he's able to take those finances and turn around and bless that mama. But I'll also tell you it because it shows you that he's not just saying, hey, have your baby and then figure out what to do with it. He's saying you need to have your baby and then we're going to come alongside of you and help you do it. And I think, I think that's a real picture of Christianity. I think any time that we're going to stand on a corner and say what you should or shouldn't do, we need to be able to back it up right? We need to be able to, with the love of Jesus Christ, come alongside and say, hey, if you decide to keep that baby, we're going to help you do it. And I just, I just think that's the message of the gospel. And so I'm excited to be a part of that ministry, and I hope you are too. Amen? Amen. All right, you ready for the word? Yeah, yeah it, is, it is Christmas time at Victory Church. How many of y'all are excited about Christmas time? You excited about Christmas time? 
uh, for the next couple of weeks this week and then leading up to Christmas Eve, we're going to talk out of this idea, Christmas at Victory. Um, and, and where I kind of see it going, although I'm not really calling it this, what I, what I see happening is each Sunday I see myself kind of looking at Christmas through somebody else's eyes. And so where I'm leaning next week, I believe we're going to look at Christmas through Joseph's eyes, Mary's husband. I'm sure at some point we're going to look through the eyes of Mary and then on our Christmas Eve service, which is going to be a very special time together, uh, I'm, I'm kind of nailing down some ideas of whose eyes we're going to look through that night. I think it's going to be a really special night. But today we're going to look through somebody's eyes that you probably don't really think about when you think of Christmas, but I think it matters. And so if you got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to start reading in Luke chapter 1, and then we'll jump around to Matthew for the rest of the message. But Luke chapter 1, as you're turning there, I'll, I'll set the, the tone. It's, we're getting ready for the angel to speak to Mary about birthing Jesus. But you're going to be introduced to a character by the name of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. Okay, so you got John the Baptist. Elizabeth is his mother. Zachariah is his father. You're going to be introduced to those characters as we look at Christmas through the eyes of John the Baptist. So here we go, Luke chapter 1. We'll start reading at verse 26. 26, read a few verses, and then we're going to jump again. So in Luke chapter 1, 26, it says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel, or Gabriel, sorry, uh, Gabriel <laughs> to Nazareth. I knew you used to know a girl named Gabrielle. It gets in your head. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so Elizabeth, Lizzie, as we like to call her, is six months pregnant with little John. And God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name, as of course we know, was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at this at first because she wondered what kind of greeting might this be. Because when an angel shows up to your house, and calls you by name, you start to worry a little bit about maybe what are we here for? What are we going to talk about? Um, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The angel goes on to say, you will conceive and you will give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus, the wonderful counselor. Jesus, our savior. Jesus, Emmanuel. Jesus, truth and grace, Jesus. This is the prophecy of the birth of baby Jesus, our Savior, to come into the world. Skip over a few verses to verse 39, and it says, at that time, after Mary has received this message, she gets ready, and she hurries to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she enters Zechariah's home, and she greets Elizabeth. So she's been told she's going to give birth to Jesus, so she travels over to Elizabeth's house to where Elizabeth, of course, is now six months pregnant with little John. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Some people believe that the baby went, okay. <laughs> you like that little biblical, little biblical humor? Oh, gosh, it's going to be a long day. Uh, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And then watch this. This is so cool. She says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, 
the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, who inside of her belly is a six-month, well, not six-month-old, but six-month created uh, baby John. And when baby John hears the voice of Elizabeth, he knows that in the room is the presence of Jesus. And so he leaps with joy. I want to talk to you for a moment this morning from the idea, not how I pictured it. Not how I pictured it. On Thanksgiving Day, um, we celebrated as a family. My family, I've told you before that recently my mom and my sister moved to Middle Tennessee. And so it had been about six years since I had seen my family on Thanksgiving because we moved here to plant Victory Church. And so we kind of had the first time in about six years that my family was together. My mom and sister, her boyfriend, my dad drove in from Panama City. And we were all together at my sister's house. And so we got over there early and we, we cooked Thanksgiving dinner uh, and, you know, of course, we ate, had a great time, enjoyed ourselves, and then we kind of made our way to the couch to watch football, and there's just something, for me, there's something about uh, NFL on holidays. I think part of it's because Sunday for me is a work day, and so by the time I get home, football is already almost over, and, uh, but on a holiday, I'm kind of in my PJs watching football, and it's something about it. So I'm on the couch. We've had so much food, right? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. I'm kind of in that food coma type concept. Football's on. I'm enjoying myself. I think this is where we're going to be for the next five or six hours. And my sister and her boyfriend come out of the room, and they're all dressed in, like, perfume and cologne. And I'm like, what are, what are you doing? What's happening? And they said, we are going to go look at the Christmas lights at Opryland Hotel. And they were excited about it. Like, they were really genuinely excited about it. And I was like, well, y'all have a great time. You know, enjoy yourself. And they said, no, you're going. And I said, no, the devil is a liar. I'm not going. <laughs> this is where the Holy Spirit has me, right here, in the presence of the comforter. Can I get an amen? You know? And they said, but, but Darla wants to go, and the kids want to go, and you know, that meant I have to go. And so I got up, and we, we loaded up the cars, and we drove separately. And we're on our way to Opryland Hotel, and we get a phone call from my sister because they're trying to tell us where they parked. And I hear my dad say in the background, it's $36 to park hold on. And so I said, what did he just say? We were on speakerphone. And he said, I know. I said, no, I'm not paying $36 to park. Like I'm a grown man. I don't pay. Parking's free in America. You know what I mean? Like I'm not paying $36. So I immediately cut a U-turn because we all know that there's a free space to get into Opryland Hotel because if you're cheap like me, you sneak in the back. Okay. So we got back on the interstate. We, we went over to the area. We parked not lying to you, we're walking up, I've got holding Veda's hand, Donald's holding Casey's hand, and we're literally telling our kids, this is what you do <laughs> when you don't want to pay $36 for parking, you sneak in the back door. And so we're coming up, and there is armed security blocking this area. You literally, unless you already have a ticket to an attraction, or you have a key room, you know, to operate, you can't get in. And I mean, they got guns, because I consider just making a run for it, you know what I mean? Like, there's four of us. They can't catch us all at the same time. I'm faster than the two kids, so I'm making it. Um, but they had guns, and, you know, my, my shooting days are over since we've transferred from Memphis, and so I said, we're not going to do this. Um, so I got back in the car, drove back over to the parking lot, paid $36 to park, uh, which I'll never get over that. And we, we walked into Opryland Hotel. So we're walking in. And, and we're there for a good bit. We're walking down all these hallways and into these different rooms and so on. And, and we've been there for a minute. And I've got kind of a surprise slash angry face on. And 
my, my mom is like, uh, what's wrong? And I said, well, I'll be honest with you. I don't see a lot of Christmas lights. Like, I see a lot of plants, but I don't see a lot of Christmas lights. And so, I, you know, I'm just kind of disappointed because we came here for Christmas lights. We didn't come here for plants. We could have saw plants outside. And, and now I'm paid $36 to park to, to see Christmas lights. But to be honest with you, most of their Christmas lights are outside of the hotel where you can see for what? Free. Thank you. Y'all are biblical people. And so later on, we're walking, and, you know, they're talking to me. My parents are trying to, you know, convince me to be happy about being here. And they're like, but there, there's Christmas lights everywhere. Look, there's Christmas lights. And I just said, yeah, I get it. But, like, it's not what I pictured. You know what I mean? Like, when I got up off the couch to come here and paid that much money to park to be here, you can tell I'm bitter about it, um, I was just, I just pictured it differently. You know what I mean? Like, I, I expected more and so I'm a little upset because, to be honest with you, it's, not, it's just not what I pictured. And it made me think, have you ever found yourself in a place where the way that life is going is just different than how you pictured it? You know what I mean? Like, maybe it's not even necessarily bad. Like, like maybe it is bad, but, but maybe it's not necessarily bad, but, but it's just not how you picture it. Like... Like, you knew you were going to end up in a career, but the career you're in is not how you pictured it. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, you always expected to get married and, and have a family, but the way marriage is going is not how you pictured it, or how your family is shaping up is not quite how you, how you pictured it. You know, you always dreamed of being 21 and 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and but if you were honest it's just not quite how you pictured it you know what I mean and am I talking to anybody in the room are you with me like you, you you've arrived somewhere in a place in your life and what you're looking at right now is just not how you pictured it you see the truth is for the most part there, there, that every part of our life we kind of we kind of have this picture in mind and, and sometimes people influence that picture sometimes it's culture but but every part like high school we had a picture graduation we had a picture you know uh, first job we had a picture marriage we had a picture first kid we had a picture like like we have these pictures in mind but the truth is you and I have not quite figured out how to process and how to deal with the fact that our situation doesn't look like we pictured. <laughs> I started thinking about this whole Christmas story concept. Because it, it, it's real sweet. It, it's real precious, you know. Um, you know, the angels and the music and baby Jesus and, you know, the animals who seem to be tamed somehow just preciously sitting there, you know, and, and we all have the nativity scene that, you know, baby Jesus somehow isn't crying, you know what I mean? He's just peacefully, like it's such a sweet, sweet time. And I'll be honest with you, I love the Christmas season for so many reasons, although I, I celebrate the life of Jesus every day, but, but I do love the, 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 the idea of Christmas and the songs we start to sing and the stories we start to read and, and the lights and the sweaters and just the warm vibe. But can I be honest with you for a second? When it comes to Mary, I don't think that's how she pictured it. Let me explain a little bit more. Detail. All my ladies 
especially those that already have children, let's think about what it was like when you pictured having your first child. All my ladies who don't have kids yet, maybe you've thought about it, depending on your age. You've thought about what it would be like when you first found out. You know what I mean? Like you get the pregnancy test and see the lines and it would be a sweet moment and your husband would come home and you would surprise him and after he said words, biblical cuss words like Nebuchadnezzar and all these kind of things, he, he then was excited about it once he, he got up off the floor. You know, it was a sweet moment and then you would have like this gender reveal moment and it's all creative now where we're blowing stuff up and whatever color it is, it kind of announces to the world. Like, like you pictured this. I think Mary had a picture, and, and what happened to her is not what she pictured. An angel showing up to her house and being like, hey, guess what? You're going to have a butt in the oven, and it's not your husband's. I don't think that's what she pictured. I don't think she pictured the angel giving her her gender reveal. It's going to be a boy. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Can't we, like, bake a cake and put blue inside the cake or something? Like, you're just going to tell the world right now like that? I just don't think that's how she pictured it. Even better, my guys, do you think that's how Joseph pictured it? <laughs> Let's just talk real for a second, all right? I'm going to get real, real next Sunday because we're going to break down Joseph. But can you imagine the moment when Mary comes in and goes, sweetheart, I'm pregnant. And Joseph is an intelligent man. So he starts doing math in his head, and he realizes the intimacy that they have not had and starts to go, hmm, <laughs> things, things aren't adding up, you know what I mean? And she's like, no, it's okay, baby, don't worry. It was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I'm just wondering, like, that's not how Joseph saw that going, you know what I mean? That's not, that's not how he pictured it happening like I have to imagine and I cannot wait to dig into this next week but but as her belly got bigger and bigger Joseph was over there like hmm hmm I just don't think that's how he pictured it everybody had heard the prophecy that the son of God that that our salvation was going to arrive but I don't think that's how they pictured it I don't think they pictured him coming in baby form. I don't think they pictured Jesus starting with his ooh, goo, goo, gagas. I don't think they pictured him being born into a manger or, or the things that we say with animals and all that. Like, I don't think that's the way it was pictured. While having a picture in mind is great, we must not forget that we do not hold the brush. And on top of that, we are not responsible for the completed canvas of our life. I'm going to say it again. While having a picture in mind is great, while picturing what your future is going to look like is great, while picturing your career and while picturing your family and while picturing all these great plans you have of being used by God and impacting lives and changing the world, while that's great, I'm not telling you not to do it. It's great. we got to have vision. But we have to remember that we do not hold the brush. And if we're not careful, we'll start to think we do, or we'll snatch it back out of the hand of God, forgetting that we are not responsible for the completed canvas of our life. 
There has to be some freedom in that moment where we realize I'm not responsible for it. Hey, you're not, you, you're not where I thought you would be. Well, that doesn't matter because I'm not responsible for it. Oh, when you were in high school, we thought you'd be this. Well, it doesn't matter because I'm not responsible for it because I don't hold the brush. We, we have this tendency to give priority to what we have in mind over what God has in mind. And I just cannot help but wonder how many times I've missed miracles because they didn't look like what I pictured. Think about that. How many times have I missed the miracle of God because the situation didn't look like what I pictured? And so I in thinking this through and thinking about you and thinking about my life, I, I kind of landed at a question. And it's a question that I've been processing myself all week, and now I'm going to lay it on your plate, and you get to process it for you. And here's the question. What if my picture is my problem? What if, what if the problem that I'm facing, what if the problem that I'm dealing with right now is my picture to begin with? What if my picture was wrong? And so therefore, because my picture was wrong to begin with, and now here I am in the current situation, and it looks nothing like I pictured, now I'm upset, but my picture is the problem. Let me show you what I mean. I told you we'd go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. If you can, jump over there. If you can't, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen. All right, when we get to Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is a grown man. John the Baptist's whole purpose was to be uh, the, the, the preparer for Jesus Christ. He was like a billboard for Jesus. He is to come. He is to come. He would say, he would say I baptize in water, but there's going to be one that baptizes in the Holy Spirit. He said, there's one coming, and I'm not even worthy enough to tie his sandals. He was letting you know, like, I'm coming with the good news, but there's one even better coming after me. His whole purpose of living was to be a billboard for Jesus Christ. So now he's an adult in Matthew. And last time we saw him in Luke, he's a baby. He's jumping with joy in Matthew. He's now an adult. And check this. He is in prison because he was preaching the gospel and he stood up to a wicked king and the wicked king put him in prison. So he's in prison and I want to show you this moment in Matthew chapter 11, because the moment I was reading Luke 1, the second I read that this baby leaped with joy, my mind thought about what happened in Matthew chapter 11, and I want to connect it for you. Watch this. Now, John the, John the Baptist is in prison. He sends his disciples uh, to go talk to Jesus, and watch this. It says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And when John, who was what? In prison. Heard about the deeds of the Messiah. When John, who was in prison, hears about what Jesus is doing outside of prison, he sends his disciples, John's disciples, his boys, hey, do me a favor, go ask Jesus a question for me, because I'm in prison, and Jesus is not in prison, and I need you to ask him a question. Here's the question, you ready? Are you the one? Who is to come? Or should we be expecting someone else? Are you, are you the savior of the, are you the one that I've been preparing for? Or should we just wait for someone else? The first time we saw John the Baptist, he's leaping inside of his mother's womb with excitement and expectation of Jesus. 
And the next time we look at him, he is questioning whether or not it's God at all. What, what happened? What, what, what did we miss from someone being so excited about the simple presence of Jesus Christ to now being in a place where they're saying, is it even you at all? What happened? Let me say it like this. The, the greatest source of frustration between us and God is unmet expectation. The, the greatest frustration between man and God is unmet expectation. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If you meet somebody right now who used to be in church and used to love the Lord and used to worship the Lord and used to serve the Lord and they are now, now not any of those things, at the root of their reasoning, you will find unmet expectation. If you talk to them long enough, they'll hit you with some of those lines we hit people with, like, oh, I wasn't getting fed at church, or, oh, you don't have to be a Christian to go to church. You know I mean? We'll say those things that we say to hide the fact that at the very root of our heart, at some point, God did not do what we expected God to do, and now we are upset at God, and because we are mad at God, we start to distance ourselves from the church and from godly people. If you find any person who tells you that they don't believe in God, an atheist or an agnostic, if you find them and you talk to them long enough, you will eventually chop away at all of these excuses and you will find that the root of their problem is that at some point God didn't meet their expectation. You'll hear them say things like this. My grandmother was a believer and then she died from cancer. Well, what does that mean for you? Well, I just thought that if God loved her so much, he'd heal her. Unmet expectation. Why don't you go to church anymore? Well, you know, everybody's a hypocrite. Well, we know that. <laughs> That's why we have church to begin with. Like, what does that mean? Well, you know, I went to church and I expected one thing, and it was an unmet expectation. Hey, hey, you used to be on fire for God. I remember you used to read your Bible and you used to, you, every time I talked to you, you talked to me about Jesus. What happened? Well, I asked for something, I prayed for something, and I really thought God was going to do it, and God didn't do it. Unmet expectation. Watch this. Right now, your greatest frustration with God, right now, is an unmet expectation. My Greatest frustration with God. Troy, you're mad at God all the time. My greatest frustration with God is an unmet expectation. Because no matter how hard we try, we try to take that brush and assume what it's going to look like. We base it off of culture. We base it off of, uh, you know, what we've seen in the past. We base it off of what we've read in Scripture or what we've read in Christian books. And we try to draw out this picture of what we think it should be. Because, watch this, it just makes sense. This makes sense to me, God. You should do And we draw up this picture, and then it's not what we picture. And when things aren't how we pictured them, what used to bring us joy God now has us questioning God altogether. Am I right? That the very thing that we used to be excited about, oh, I can't wait to worship God. Why can't you worship anymore? Because of an unmet expectation. And so I'm kind of mad at God. 
And now I'm even questioning God. Oh, you're not a man of faith if you question God. John the Baptist questioned God. We all question God when we are overwhelmed with unmet expectation. But until we are honest about our expectations, this is so good, we won't be able to make sense of our disappointments. Until we're honest about our expectations, we will not be able to make sense of our disappointments. Some of us are disappointed right now, and we don't know why. And it's because we're not being honest with ourselves about what we expected to begin with. And because we had this expectation that, honestly, we can't tell you how we even arrived at it, but because we have it and God didn't achieve it, now we're in a position where we are frustrated at God, we are discouraged, we are disappointed, and we do not know what to do with it because it is not how we pictured it. If that statement is true, then for us to understand John the Baptist's frustration in Matthew chapter 11, we would need to know what John's expectations were. For you and I to read that and go, how could John the Baptist, who was jumping in his mother's womb, now all of a sudden question God? For us to be able to know that, we would have to go back and understand what the expectations of John were. But often in the Bible, we don't get the small details. Often in the Bible, we have to try to piece things together, and we're not really certain if we're doing it right. And so we walk out a lot of times going, well, I get it. I'm assuming John's expectations were the foundation of his disappointment, but I don't really know what his expectations were. Luckily for us, that's not the situation in this story. Because in Matthew chapter 3, don't put it up yet, we, we, we get a, a, a kind of a peek into what John is expecting when he thinks about Jesus. He's preaching to people. He's letting them know that Jesus is coming. And watch what he says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. Watch this. He says, his winnowing fork is in his hand. When Jesus shows up, his winnowing fork will be in his hand. And he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chafe with unquenchable fire. <laughs> so, according to Matthew chapter 3, lost my marker, John tells us what he pictures. So let me, let me help you out real quick with this. can't do fire very well. I should have had Casey rage all this. Here's what he pictured. John said, when I picture Jesus, I picture fork and fire. The, the minnowing fork that he talks about, in their culture in that day, it, it was very similar to a pitchfork. And what they would do is they would use it to, to pick up the grain, and they would throw the grain in the air. And when the grain was in the air, the chafe and the, and the hay would blow away, and the grain would fall back to the ground. That's what a winnowing fork was. So they'd walk up and throw it up, and the whole purpose of it was to separate. So here's what John is telling us, that when he drew a picture of Jesus, the picture of Jesus is that he would show up to separate the good from the bad. That he would come onto the scene 
and move all the bad people over here and all the good people over here, and then he would burn up all the bad people with fire because he's barking fire. That's who Jesus is. And now, Jesus is walking around healing people, having dinner with prostitutes, loving people and touching them, and John's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not what I pictured. I I pictured Jesus to come in and rule and reign, and I would be at his right hand. I pictured Jesus to come in and stomp people out and fork them around and fire them up and do all these things. (laughs) Don't take anything into that. And yet, here's a way of saying it. John pictured judgment. But what he sees is grace. So John is in prison. And he's saying, hey, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to go talk to Jesus. Because what I see is not what I pictured. And because what I see is not what I pictured, I can't help but wonder, is it even God to begin with? You know what John didn't picture? Prison. (laughs) You know what's not in his drawing? Him in jail and Jesus just out doing his thing. You know what I mean? Because Jesus is greater than him. So if he's got to go to jail, Jesus must have to go to like extra jail, right? It's not what I pictured. And I felt the Holy Spirit tell me this. Because it's not what he pictured, And because it's really hard for John to move forward when life isn't how he pictured it, it means that John is actually in two prisons. He's in the physical prison, and he's in the prison of what he pictured. You ever been imprisoned by what you picture? You know what I'm talking about? Like you can't even function in life because it's not how you pictured And because it's not how you pictured, it's now defining who you think you are. And you can't even be joyful. And you can't even have vision. And you've lost all faith. Because it's not how you pictured it. And now what's happened is you are imprisoned by what you pictured. Similar to John, when things don't end up how we pictured them, We end up disappointed and discouraged, and watch this, feeling like we failed. Because when things don't end up like we pictured them, because listen to me, we're not, eh, I was going to say we're not bad people, but of course we are. But, But let me say it like this. When we come up with a picture, the picture is as godly as we think it can be. Does that make sense? Like, like what we picture is blessing for our families and blessing for other people. Like, it's not just a picture that's all self-focused. There is some self-focused things in it. But what just happened? There we go. Okay. But there's just this, there's this moment where, where if we're not careful, we start to kind of assume that we're the failures. Because either A, God hates us, (laughs) which we assume isn't true, 
or we did something to mess up the picture, right? Like, like we're looking, here I am. I, I didn't expect to be a single mom. I didn't picture it that way, but I am. I, I, didn't, I didn't picture to be divorced, but I am. I, I, didn't, I didn't picture to have two jobs, but now I, do. I didn't picture it this way, but it's the reality. And if, if it's not what I thought it was going to be, I fall into this prison of discouragement and disappointment, and I start to label myself as a failure, all because of what I pictured. Not necessarily what God pictured, but what, what I what I wanted. And then I had this revelation that was so good. Oh my gosh. Because I had pictured this. I obviously didn't practice the drawing or it would have looked better. But I pictured it. And when you study John, the purpose of the fork in the fire was repentance. That was the purpose come with the fork in the fire so that you will repent. So John pictured fork and fire because the purpose was repentance. But watch this. Jesus said people are being healed. The good news is being preached. And it's all leading to what? Repentance. John said, I pictured this for the purpose of repentance. Jesus said, people are being healed, the deaf are getting, being able to hear, the blind are being able to see, the dead are being raised, and it's all a result or resulting into repentance. So Jesus said, watch this, we had the same purpose, we just pictured it differently. We had the same purpose. The purpose doesn't change. The purpose is for God to use you, to bless you, to finish the work he started in you. The purpose is the same. You just pictured it differently. And so now you're looking at the picture going, well, I guess the purpose is aborted too. No, the purpose is still happening. Listen to me, single mom, single dad. The purpose is still happening. Listen to me, family who can't have children. The purpose is still happening. Listen to me, um, person who had a divorce, the purpose is still happening. Listen to me, person who's not in the career they want to be in, the purpose is still happening. God's purpose is still happening, it's just not how you pictured it. Not how you pictured it. So I felt the Lord tell me something. That then as I processed it for me, I realized it's also for you. And here is the word of the Lord for you. If you're struggling right now because it's not how you pictured it, here's the word of the Lord for you. I know it doesn't look like you pictured, but it is me. It's me. I know it doesn't look like <laughs> you pictured. I know it's not going the way you thought. It should go. But you can be confident that it's still me working. Can I show you this in Matthew chapter 11? I mentioned it real quick, but I'm going to show you in Scripture. They come to Jesus and they say, hey, John, John's worried because things aren't going the way that he pictured it. And he's starting to wonder if you're really the one. And he wanted me to ask you, should he wait for somebody else? And watch what Jesus says. Jesus says, go back. 
go back and report to John what you've heard and what you've seen. You notice he didn't say go back and tell John I am the I am. Wouldn't that just been easier for Jesus to say just yes? The answer is yes. Yes, tell him yes. Tell him it's me. It's me. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said go back and tell him this. Watch this. Tell him that the blind are receiving sight. Tell him that the lame are walking. That those, I love this, to those that have been cast out, they're made clean. That the deaf can hear, that the dead are raised, and that the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. I was reading that, and I was like, man, John's problem was his picture. So Jesus gave him a different picture. We're at the Opryland Hotel. We're going back there. We've been there for a couple hours, and Darla walks up to me, and she hugs me, and she plants a big kiss on me, which is, I'm always for, right? And she looks back at me, and she goes, I'm so proud of you. It's like, proud of me? Because <laughs> I spent $36 to be here? Like, what are, what are, I'm not a good steward of my finances? Like, what are, what are you proud of? She said, the old Troy? <laughs> She said the old Troy would have been acting a fool about all of this and would have been walking around here with his butt on his shoulders. And, and she said he would have made it miserable for everybody. Because when we're miserable because things aren't how we pictured them, we tend to make it miserable for everybody. Because we don't know how to deal with that. It's not what I, we had all these expectations that we put together without God's help. And then they didn't line up with God's plan, and now we're upset about it. And the only thing we know how to do is to make it miserable for everybody else. He said, I'm so proud of you. So I couldn't get that out of my head. We're walking around. I'm like, what? Was I that bad? First of all. Um, second of all, what? I wonder what's different. Like, what, what's, I just kind of started talking to the Lord in my own pride. I was just like, what, what's different? What's different? What's different? And then my mom came up beside me, and we got to talking, and I was still you know, butt on my shoulders, and so I was like, I just can't believe there's not Christmas lights. And she said, honey, the way mamas do, right? Honey, me and your dad, we don't even care about the Christmas lights. We're just glad that we're here with y'all. I was like, yeah. You know. <laughs> then all of a sudden, it hit me. When we first got in, I was looking for all the Christmas lights. Like, I walked into every room judgmental to begin with. Like, I walked in going, nope, nope, ugly. <laughs> but then we found ourselves over by this gingerbread man, like a person in a gingerbread costume, in case Ray really wanted to take a picture with him. So we rushed down there, and she took a picture with him, and then we found this other thing that had a ginger man's body, but it had no head, and you could go get under it, and it could be your head, and we started making poses with it, and the ginger man came over, and me and him were taking pictures together. I'll put it on Facebook later. Taking pictures together with me under the thing, and him right there, and I realized, the Lord showed me. He said, what happened was, at some point tonight, your focus shift. It shifted. You walked in looking for your picture, and when your picture wasn't there, you were disappointed, and you were upset. And you were missing out on the opportunity to be with your family, doing what the purpose of this trip was. See, here's my problem. My sister set me up. She said, we're going to Opryland Hotel. I said, why? She said, to look at Christmas lights. She painted me a picture. 
What she didn't say was, so you can go spend time with your kids. That still wouldn't have got me off the couch, but I just, you know, I was processing. I kind of had to, had to focus, had to shift. Because watch this, you can't have both God's purpose and your picture. I hate to tell you that. You can't have them both. You either get God's purpose for your life or you get your picture. And take it from somebody who loves you dearly. Don't settle for your picture. I started thinking again about John, right? And I'm like, John, he's excited. And then he's questioning, he's excited, he's questioning. And y'all got to understand, I marinate on this stuff all week for me so I can try to give it to you so that you can walk out of this and it can actually be applicable to your life. That's why we gather here, so that you can walk out and you can bring Jesus into everyday parenting, marriage, career. You can actually process. And I'm trying to press, okay, what is going on with John? One minute he's, he's excited about Jesus and he's jumping. The next minute he's questioning Jesus. What, what's the difference? And I felt the Holy Spirit say, well, in one he's in the womb and the other he's in the world. When he was excited about God, he was in the womb. When he's questioning God, he's in the world. I said, God, what does that have to do with anything? What's the difference between the womb and the world? What's the difference between the womb and the world? I'm going back and forth. Womb, world. I'm like Ace Ventura, Ray Finkel, Finkel, Ray Finkel. Womb, world, womb, world, womb, world. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God said, sight. Sight. Take your hand. Do this. You're in the womb. You don't get to see. Uncover, uncover your eyes. The world. Do it again. Womb. World. Womb. World. Womb. World. <laughs> Superman. In the one where he was praising Jesus. All he had was his presence. And the one where he questioned Jesus, he was focused on his picture. How do we get back to presence? I was going to have this stool up here. I thought about having somebody draw the picture. And I wanted to have the stool facing the picture going, this is what we do. But I want to get to the place where I'm focused on the artist. Don't look at the picture. Let's look at the artist. If I get, I started thinking about this. He's in prison. He's not near Jesus because Jesus is not omnipresent yet. Jesus is man. He's 100% flesh, right? 100% spirit, 100% flesh. But he says, I got to leave. Holy Spirit comes. It'll be better. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus can be with you, Frederick. He can be with you, Ken. He can be with me. You can be in Nashville. You can be in Laverne. I can be in Antioch. He's with us all. So when, when John's in prison, Jesus is not near him. When he's in the womb, he's near him. Listen to me. Your, your deliverance is in your proximity to Jesus. It's not your picture. You gotta, you gotta be willing to let that thing go. You gotta be willing to start all over again and realize that you are not responsible for the completed canvas. Well, I expected that's great. Stop it. Stop it. Arrive at the point where you realize that his ways are greater than your ways. And his thinking is beyond your thinking. 
And so is it possible that God is still God even though it's not what you picture? Everybody, would you stand with me for a second worship team? I'm going to invite you up. Take my drawing back. Sorry, I just thought about the Lord be talking to a brother while you're up here. Give me a little thought. Two quick thoughts, and we'll close and pray. Number one, if you're not careful, after this message, you'll take the picture that you've drawn, and you'll toss it out, and then you'll get another canvas, and you'll take the pen again and start the process all over again. But watch what 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says. It says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, And what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus said, go go show them what you, or go tell them what you heard and what you've seen. And then scripture tells you that no eyes have seen and no ears have heard and nobody can conceive and understand what the God who loves you has planned for you. So then I started thinking, where did John get his picture? It's biblical. Where did John get his picture? He didn't make it up. He wasn't at home and looked in the backyard and saw a window and fork and saw a bonfire and was like, ooh, Jesus, fork and fire. That's what we're going to do. I'm like, where where did he get this picture? He got it from the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament understanding. It was the pre-Christ, pre-grace, where they figured that a God who is the creator, who is all about sin and no sin and hell and heaven, that we would assume that he would come with a winnowing fork and fire. So his picture was shaped by the Old Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 says, We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. Here's why you needed to read that. Because when you sit down in front of a blank canvas, it's going to be hard for you to picture something that is not influenced by your sin. It's going to be hard for you to imagine all that God has for you beyond eyes and beyond ears that can hear because you know who you are. And you know what you've done. So it's natural that you would start drawing pictures that are based on Old Testament beliefs, which is a picture that says, if I'm a sinner, it must not be good. And until I perform better, I can't expect anything from God. But Jesus said, I destined this picture for you before all time began. So I must not be paying attention to how good you are 
because I drew the picture before you were even born. I drew the picture because I knew the picture would be founded on the grace of Jesus Christ. Your picture is not formed by you. It's formed by who he is. Your picture's not righteous because you make it righteous. It's righteous because he is. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Zoe, Kyle, do you guys mind coming down front for a second? We're going to have a time of ministry here for just a few moments. I'm going to pray over you, but I want to, I want to really, really challenge you for a second. First of all, if you're in this room and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you can believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you will be saved. I want to encourage you, if you'd like to give your heart to Jesus, to come down here, talk to Zoe, talk to Kyle. They can walk you through that. On top of that, maybe you're a believer, but look, you've been discouraged. And you've had moments that were very John-like. You were like, God, is it's even you. And the Lord would bring us all the way to Christmas out of the eyes of John the Baptist so that you could understand that you are not supposed to define God's will for your life by the picture you assumed. But by a different picture. A picture of Jesus Christ. A grace over your life. And the one who will bring to completion the good work that he started in you. And so with that being said, I'd love, I'm going to pray, and then I want to open it up for prayer. You just say, I need prayer. I need prayer. I've been struggling with my picture. And I'd like to pray through this. It'll be a sweet time. Is a good word for you this morning? Did you need it? So did I. Father, I thank you right now for your word that is alive and moving in our lives. I thank you that even John the Baptist struggled. Because if John the Baptist can struggle, then Father, I can struggle. But you're reminding us this morning that whatever it was that we drew up in our head, you never signed off on that. Because you have something greater in mind for us. And for that individual that's in this room, and because God didn't do something that you expected him to do, you've been mad at him. God's telling you this morning, hey, I know it's not what you pictured, but it's me. It's me. I'm with you. I've never left you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. When you're faithless, I'm faithful. I'm with you. But just be willing to hand over the brush. Just be willing to let God take back over the responsibility of drawing the canvas of our life. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit right now would move in such a thick way that you would start to speak to people like, I, I, I've said all I can say, but there's things you're saying right now to people's hearts that I can never say. Move in this place. If there's somebody that wants to give their life to you, I pray for salvation. If there's somebody who's broken down and needs you, I pray for comfort right now. For that one that's been angry at you, let there be restoration today. For the one that's running, let there be repentance and revelation, restoration. Father, thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.